0: To Fandom Media. And he's not kidding. Welcome indeed to the very first episode of the Fandom Media Podcast. And thanks to the people who contributed to help get Fandom Media off the ground. That includes announcer Jason, who you've already heard and will continue to hear, and Thomas Numperson for the intro music. There's more music in this episode coming from other sources. If you heard our intro episode, you've got a preview to what we're all about. Now it's time for the real thing. Here we are delivering analysis, insight, and a few bad jokes. Now, our primary goal here is to have fun, but we're going to take it down a notch just for a minute at the start and dedicate a moment to Debbie Reynolds and Carrie Fisher for her amazing contributions to Star Wars over the years. So let's have a moment of silence. With a movie like Star Wars, it's not just about going to the movie, watching it, and going home. There's months of anticipation. There's trailers, there's stories, there's interviews. It's really all part of the process and you can't separate it from your experience with a movie like this. With a lot of other movies, you go in, you enjoy it, you're done, maybe you think about it for a few days and it's kind of, maybe you have a conversation about it later. Star Wars is a whole nother thing. The three of us each handled this situation differently and I think that colored our ultimate experiences, our first impressions. Uh, Shay, why don't you start?
1: As I've mentioned before in our intro episode, I'm spoiler obsessed, and I think probably a lot of you who are listening to this Rogue One podcast probably also are obsessed with Star Wars and might also have been following the promotion for the movie really avidly throughout all of these months. And so I not only was following the trailers and promotion, but I was obsessed with looking for actual spoilers about filming. So I do that for most things, but I definitely do it extra for Star Wars.
0: That's very interesting. I was interested in it but I didn't do nearly the level of digging you did. I certainly watched the trailers and it got me more excited for the movie and it was a good part of the experience but uh, I don't I definitely didn't go too deep into it because I didn't want to be too spoiled. I wanted it to be I wanted to strike a balance between surprise and having my anticipation at a level that you know got me really
2: excited. Sean what about you? I was on the other end of the spectrum where I pretty much avoided I pretty much avoided you can't help but know what's happening in culture and I had become aware of what the plot was very vaguely you know, the the plans to get the Death Star you know. but I definitely didn't seek out trailers or interviews or special information and I was able to almost completely avoid any of it. I did catch one little brief commercial Mm -hmm. like a few days before the movie came out so I knew that there were some TIE fighters (laughs) 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 but that's about the extent of what I knew going in and it definitely, I will say especially after having seen it, then going at that point, then I did watch all the trailers and there was a bunch of stuff in the trailer it wasn't in the movies and I imagine a lot of people who saw the trailers then saw the movie walked out wondering what what happened to that I guess a lot of people probably didn't even notice it you know but the fans people who are probably gonna sit down and listen to our podcast probably did notice it and maybe were wondering about it and we're gonna talk quite a bit about it and I will say a particular thing that I'm happy about a lot of times when I watch a movie and maybe I'm a little you know egocentric here, but I feel like there's a flaw of some sort. Usually it's something missing from a character or a plot hole or something that could have should have happened a little differently that wouldn't have taken me out of the movie. And I feel like I'm just a guy watching this. I shouldn't be able to come up with the answer. You know, sometimes the answer is you have to, like, cast another character or add 15 minutes or a whole scene. But sometimes it's just, like, one line of dialogue. I really love the movie Thank You for Smoking just because it gave me this concept. There's a moment in Thank You for Smoking where it's like a cigarette ad executive and, you you know, modern times is lamenting that you know the movie stars of the golden era of Hollywood they all smoked. How come no one smokes in the movies anymore and they want to convince some movie producer to put the main characters some Brad Pitt character smoking in their next big hit. And so they go to Rob Lowe and Rob Lowe's like yeah we'll do that. And they're like wait hold on in space and the ships don't they have this oxygen won't it blow up? And Rob Lowe's like "Ah, we can just fix that with one line of dialogue about how they invented the what you call it. And I'm like yeah man one line sometimes this all it takes is one line of dialogue. Well all right. They did so much more than one line of dialogue to make sure they got everything on film correctly here. I can't imagine how many plot holes and little misses in characters and editing they must have had to deal with because in a quote from Gareth Edwards, the director, he says it from post-production after after the reshoots that they did, they went from 600 special or visual effects to 1,600 visual effects. (laughs) And again, if you watch the commercials, almost half, I think, I don't know if anyone's done any kind of percentage breakdown, but it's like 40 plus scenes that were in the trailers, that weren't in the movie it makes you wonder how many more weren't in the trailers or the movie they made huge changes I, it makes me feel like they must have spent a lot of time and money It's probably a risk for them to do that and i'm glad they did because they didn't walk out of this movie thinking like how come they didn't use the blah 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 there's so many things that action movies especially have these big problems that this one didn't seem to have i was so ready for it to have these problems maybe part of why i avoiding trailers because they didn't want to get too hyped up
0: <laughs> meta elements
2: so all these reshoots, I think they're, one, it's interesting to think about how it might have gone, and two, how many there were, and Shade did a lot of research into what they were.
1: Yes. As recently as a week prior to the film's release, unused footage was still being used in the film's promotion. Gareth Edwards revealed some pretty interesting info, some of it that's really relevant to this discussion. In particular, he said this about what kind of choices of shots marketing chose for the trailers. There was a bit of a process to refining the third act in terms of specific shots and moments, and certain things just fell away. What happened was, marketing loved these shots and said, oh, you have got to use that. And you say, well, it's not in the movie. And they said, it's okay, it's what marketing does. We just use the best of whatever you've done. I know that's not in the film, but the spirit of it is in the film. So, that could explain quite a few of the shots that weren't in the movie. What do you guys think about that? It's something
0: we always have to be aware of, that especially with these huge budget movies, that marketing plays such a big part that it actually impacts how the movie is made. I think that this used to be a bit of a problem, that it would be a little invasive, but now they've gotten very smooth at incorporating these things together, and... As you'll see from from some of the information that we've put together here, it didn't really matter to them. It just didn't matter. Marketing was like, whatever. This is cool. It's in the spirit of the film. I, the trailer got me hyped, and I didn't really mind that those things weren't in there. I was like, huh, those things weren't in there. Yeah, so what? You know, the movie was. It didn't change the movie.
2: I think it is a definitely an interesting thing to think about the the impact or difference it can make. Like in general, I think they can market it however they want. Like you know, that's on them, and they might mess up by doing it in a way that if it's too different from the movie, people are disappointed. I I suppose you've already bought your ticket at that point so they made their money but maybe you're less likely to recommend other people to see it maybe there might even be some legal issues Shay you said that some movies have been sued for having things that for false yeah. marketing you know they're, and they're uh, very mad I think that's kind of extreme but I can definitely see how it could get to that point and it's a neat question I don't know if I necessarily have thought about it enough to have a definitive answer but my default is if they can get me excited about it that's fine I, I almost even think of it as like extra information or you know when it's when it's something it could have been done in a plot possibly maybe that's different but I think it's neat to it's like a deleted scene you know it's like a deleted a preview deleted scene instead of months later on the DVD you know yeah,
1: that's exactly what I think and I think a lot of that we would never have seen hmm. we would never have seen it if it wasn't in the trailer so I'm yeah. extra grateful for that but I also kind of see the other side if I had been really unhappy with the movie and it hadn't had all these things that I thought it was going to have I would think that it was false advertising It'd be and extra, I would, I would, extra
0: annoying or yeah whatever. it would be extra
1: annoying to me hmm. if I happen to think that some of the stuff in the trailer was bad. I didn't like Jim's Ira Bell line, for instance, and I'm glad that they cut it. So I'm happy that I saw that it was improved. And so I have really mixed feelings about it, but I think I'm generally happy with it.
0: And I think this is a a, a factor as well on a really high level of the change in how this movie is made compared to past Star Wars. Not counting Force Awakens, because Force Awakens is also made by Disney. But before, it was a bit more uh, single-minded, almost, with George (laughs) Lucas being at the Top and everyone else being beneath him. This is a different situation with a big corporation. You have you don't have one guy calling all the shots. You, you have a lot of people involved, and you have a big, like a board of people that are like, no, this movie is not good enough. You must you must fix it. And we have the resources to make that happen. To make sure that happens. So, and they're
2: willing to commit the resources. So
0: this does give me on top of all this, it gives me extra confidence in Disney handling Star Wars for the long term because I this is shows their commitment to it to make sure it was good.
2: I want to, I want to say though, not to take anything away from Disney or any your points, but I think it's at least as much as a generation of Star Wars lovers who are now in position to make Star Wars. That's a very good They point. aren't going to let this fail. The you know? kids
0: that grew up with it are now making it. The that people is a very in good Disney
2: point. are people who love Star Wars. Yeah. That's a very yeah. good point. I think point. that's a good
1: point. I'll also mention, this is a reference, as is a quote that I think is relevant to this, in that Gareth Edwards and screenwriters, they didn't think that they would let them die. In the earliest version of the screenplay, they didn't die. And they just assumed that they couldn't kill them. Disney wouldn't let them. So, they're trying to figure out how to do this how to make it so that they don't die in this situation. And all the producers at Disney and everything, and Kathy Kennedy, they read the screenplay and they ask, they, they have to die, right? <laughs> and they're just like shocked at this idea and they thought they weren't going to be allowed to, but Kathy Kennedy said, yeah, that makes sense. Gareth Edwards said that he just kept expecting them to ask him to just add an extra scene where we see Jen and Cassian okay and on another planet and it never came. This happened before the reshoots, though the reshoots were not because of this change. Just to clarify. <laughs> It's pretty remarkable how many shots were ultimately not in the movie, and I recommend re-watching the trailers to see this for yourself or simply googling Shots Not in Rogue One, there's a few different compilations out there. We're going to chat a bit about them. So here are the basic scenes that seem to have been changed or cut. First of all, in the trailer, we see a lot more shots of Saw without his hair. I think it's possible that those shots are Saw and Jin during the interim years when he was raising her. But I also think it's possible that he was saying some of these things to Galen Erso and not Jin. For example, one line that isn't in the movie is him saying, What will
0: you do when they catch you? If you continue to fight,
1: what will you do? become. I think that that line could easily be relevant to both Jin and Galen. But my bets on it being to Jin. and I really do wish that we could have seen a little more of their relationship so that his death would have impacted a bit more.
0: I definitely wanted to see more of that relationship too. I think that was a bit of a disappointing moment for me. I did say that the trailer got me pretty hyped up and one of the things that got me really hyped up was that exact quote. I think that was a great, great quote. I don't mind that it wasn't in the movie, though, because it's, it still served its purpose. It still gave an impression of the difficulty of of being a rebel in this case and that's all that really mattered to me uh the impression not necessarily where they put that in the movie and or not in the movie as it turned out
1: speaking of impressions i'll say that a lot of people seeing that trailer thought jim was gonna turn to the imperial side because you hear him say that and you see her in the imperial outfit and they're clearly trying to make you think that is a bit of a red herring
0: that's a good point about how trailers are misleading in general forget reshoots that's just a common thing it's one reason to never take them too seriously which is one reason and why maybe the reshoots were to some people not as, you know, whoa, what the hell?
1: <laughs> that said, Jin does seem to have been changed a pretty significant amount. In the trailers, she seems to be a little bit more hot-headed and a little bit more aggressive. Of course, we have her infamous I rebel line, which is love it or hate it, but it seems that Lucasfilm chose to take that out. There's also a little bit between Jin and Cassian and Jin and K2 that was changed. There's some K2 quips that were changed. Alan Tudyk had a bit to say about this. Yeah, there was
0: some fun stuff. I got to write a couple of lines. There were little pieces where they're saying, what would K2 say at this moment? I got a few of those.
1: Of course, K2 says,
0: The captain says you are a friend. I will not
1: kill you. As one of his quips, and that might imply that Cassian, Jin, and K2 met a bit differently, as this line is set on Jeddah. This would have changed their character interactions and development quite a lot.
2: I will always want more character development. I always want to know more about the characters. I care more about everything else when I know more about the characters involved. And so seeing more of Jin's background, the details of, you know, why she was on that prison transparation, Or if there was some other potential story, it seems like from the trailers there might have been more to the story of how she connected with Cassian exactly. I would love to see all that. I would love to see their first meeting and build up to it and everything.
1: I think we all want more of that juicy character development, to be honest. But a lot of the changes seem to have been kind of action-oriented, as they were on Scarif itself. For instance, we have shots of K2, Jin, and Cassian running through the Scarif base trying to get the tape out, so K2 didn't die there, and they didn't go up onto the tower in that situation situation. We have that shot, that iconic shot of Jin in her imperial outfit, likely just a glamorous shot that they didn't plan to use in general. We have the shots of them running on the beach with the tape that showed them all there again, so they all got onto the beach. And of course we have the shot of Jin up on the tower with the TIE Fighter, which tied to the beach element. Tied, get it? I get it. The TIE Fighter could have blown up the calm tower, which could have meant that Jin had to go back down and out to the beach potentially is one theory. There's been a few Krennic shots cut as well. For instance, there's a shot with Krennic with a blaster, which is a little bit baffling as it's really not clear who he would have been threatening that blaster with or why he would have had it as he's indoors right there. And of course, we have a lot of shots of Vader and of Krennic telling Vader about this immeasurable power. We also have a shot of Krennic walking on the shore, which shows that he made it to the beach in another ending of the story.
0: It seems like there's a very good chance the original version had them getting off of Scarif, at least most of them, alive. And this may explain why things were so different. But in the end, these characters never even were reunited at any point. Instead of getting together and getting away, they just went their separate ways and died individually or in pairs. At least they didn't die in
2: apples. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: One thought that I've had is that the TIE fighter could have destroyed that communications tower right there if that shot had been kept from the reshoots and Jin and Cassian might have had to make it back down to the beach and get the plans off the planet because they couldn't beam it out. And if that was the case and they still died, the natural thing to think is that, well, Vader had a scene where he killed a bunch of people on a ship. Couldn't that have been Rogue One?
0: Wow, what an amazing ending that would have been. That would have been pretty harsh just to see Vader cut down these heroes that we follow just like that. We're like, they struggle, they fight, they get there, and then there's this big bad guy, just this badass that's, that no one can deal with, just comes in and slaughters I mom.
1: would have loved it.
0: I would have been really exceptional. <laughs> I'm not sure if I would have loved it. I wouldn't have hated it. I, I'm not sure I would have felt about that, but it would really... Quite a statement for a Star Wars film. Would make Vader even darker. Yeah. Yes. It's true.
1: And I think that's why they didn't do it. They have to skirt that line, not having him be too dark, because kids love Star Wars, and kids love Darth Vader as much as he's, you know, kind of a genocidal <laughs> uh, psychopath. A villain.
0: He's pretty awful, but he's yeah. He, he, he's He's also just cool. Yeah. I guess <laughs> you're right. You, can't, you don't want to make him that brutal, even though he already slaughtered children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But you don't see it. You just, it's implied. Also, that
2: wasn't Vader. That was Anakin. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Back to the reshoots, though. There's a few scenery shots, like the overhead shot of the Jeddah ruin of the Jedi, or the rebel pilots, the X-Wing pilots, being led in shackles through Jeddah, and things like that that were cut that we really can't speculate too much on. And, of course, we have the stormtroopers in the water in the very earliest promotional material, though that seems like it could have been really meant for promotional material, especially as they look like they're kind of scared. Scouting and searching out there. The team seems to have been tweaked a little bit too throughout the movie. For instance, Pow and Bistan, the two little alien dudes, one furry and one kind of leathery skin. Those two little dudes weren't really in the film much at all and I had gone into it expecting them to be pretty major characters because they were actually in a lot of the promotional material, but they really weren't in the movie much at all. Conversely, it seems that things were added for Bodhi, while there's a few little shots that were in the trailer but weren't in the movie. It mostly appears to be the case that he got more material. In an interview with Riz Ahmed he said that his character started off as this total other dude and by the end of the movie from a combination of what he was doing and what they felt the story needed he was just a totally different character with a different name, a different job, a different everything and much more part of the ensemble. There wasn't much cut from the trailers for Baze and Chirrut but there was one crucial line which is Baze yelling Detroit right on huh? they're attacking on Edu. So let's get into it. This is a minor point, but what do you guys think about Baze's you destroyed our home line being cut?
2: I wish they had kept that line. One of the biggest things that I wish they had done was show the characters reaction to their home being destroyed. I wish they we had gotten more emotion from that, more of an impact. That should have been something that they continue talking about. And that was a way for them to remind us that somewhere between revenge or motivation or whatever it is in these characters that, you know, they their home got destroyed destroyed in front of their own eyes and here's the people that did it you know there. it makes sense that they would have that battle cry.
1: Alternatively if they had included that I think it might have just been nitpicked by people as being too cheesy and too out of place. If you're in that situation shooting your gun in the rain no one's around are you really gonna yell you destroyed our home?
0: Yeah I can't even hear him. So maybe some sort of what well, I was thinking maybe they could have done something similar without it being quite as specific maybe just him yelling or just just, ah,
2: you know, some sort of like... They should have had him drop down to his knees, William Defoe, <laughs> platoon style, and yell, you destroyed our home! You just fall back and, no!
0: Oh, but they already did that with Vader in a prayer movie. Yeah, yeah.
2: that's why they didn't do it. That's why they cut that
1: line.
2: <laughs> dot reviews.
1: I didn't mind they cut that line personally because I read a lot of stuff about the characters. I felt the weight of their loss. I really did. I think that they could have done a better job at giving the actors moments to convey that. But I also think it makes a lot of sense that they're not going to share these sort of things with each other. This is a war movie. This isn't a let's all be best friends and share our deepest feelings movie. I think there's a line there, but I think they were trying to not be too character focused.
0: Yeah, and I think it's also very standard Star Wars to remove the extreme emotions from things. Princess Leia didn't have the reaction you would expect for her, her home planet being destroyed either. She had a brief moment of grief and then it didn't really come back at all. It was hardly mentioned again. Just like there's no really nasty wounds in Star Wars. Like you don't see gore. I think it's this kind of is that general trend.
2: All that is true except I want to see them break from the trend. This is a chance to do it. They already kill everyone off at the end. I feel like it's not just their deepest darkest emotions. It's a pretty surface emotion to see your hometown blown up in front of you. You know and I think it would have been really something to see them that moment when they're all like getting on the ship and it's trying to clarify because he's blind and it's gone, all of it, you know. For someone to break down into tears there, I don't... And maybe at that moment, they're in shock. But at some point, some character I feel like should have had this emotional moment. I think I'm really seriously telling you, I think they could have got a Best Actor nomination out of this movie. I think they could have used Hmm. that tragic moment and this great cast of performers Hmm. to get a real moment of emotion and really get some, I don't know, hype around something beyond Star Wars action. You know what I mean? Speaking
1: to that, I'll say that you didn't even realize that Bodhi's hometown was Jedi.
2: No, I didn't, yeah. So
1: we should have seen more of a reaction. To be fair, he was the most in shock. He was recovering from the boar gullet. But I also think that Baze and Sheridan have shown themselves to show emotion. They yeah. aren't your typical macho men. I think that maybe in other movies you wouldn't show them breaking down into tears. But I think that they would have. I think that their characters would have. And I think that it would have improved their characters even more for them to be comfortable expressing their emotions in that way.
2: Or to show how tragic it was for them to not be able to control their emotions in a moment like that. I mean, think about the moments following 9-11. How many people just went on with their day? Everyone just stopped. or were glued to the TV. It's all we talked about. Ten years later, it's all anyone talks about. <laughs> it's, a, it's a huge moment. And I, I'm not even from New York, you know? It's a, I, I feel like it was an opportunity to really get make something powerful happen. And it, it's it's maybe my, my biggest complaint about the whole movie is I feel that I was a little too glazed over. Watching it a second time, I will point out that they did address it more than I remembered the first time. That the first time often we're watching a movie, you're just trying to or the names of the characters, the image in front of you, the progression of the plot. And when you go watch it a second time, you pick up on subtleties of dialogue, you know, what people are wearing, stuff in the background, the effects of music and things like that. And the second time, when I was actively looking out for what I thought was a problem of them not addressing what had just happened, I realized that they did. But I think that they did just enough mm-hmm. instead of to the point where we can get a nomination for best actor, <laughs> you know.
0: it bears mentioned that they did keep the same general idea, they just took it away from Bayes. There was a random rebel fighter that yelled, for Jedha, when they landed. So they they guess they kinda kept it but didn't but change it. Still
1: you could easily miss that line. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you could have had a close shot of that extra's face where he was really broken up about it. There's other ways you could've made it so that you really feel that.
2: Remember in Force Awakens, we got this moment when uh, the all the stormtroopers are on the ship like as they're flying in before they before they like jump out or whatever, you know? And it kinda built a lot of tension that The the sounds and the the imagery of this, you know, imminent battle. It might have been neat to have a similar parallel shot of the rebels in their carrier ship about to be dropped off. And one of them in there where the stormtroopers are just kind of mechanical, you Mm -hmm. know, clones just going to do what they're told. But these guys, they're fighting for what's right. They're fighting for revenge. They're fighting to protect da 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 and one of them being from Jeddah might have been on the ship talking to. Aren't you from Jeddah? Yeah, man. And it had someone coming close. You know.
1: The point of this is that if we can name a dozen examples of how they could have slightly improved the characters with very little effort, that that's a big flaw in the movie.
0: Yeah. On the, on the other hand, I'm gonna make a counterpoint. These are the the picture that's painted of these characters. That these are rebels, especially the ones from Jeddah, but not just the ones from Jeddah. And Cassian makes this point to Jin about. You think you're the only one who's lost everything? It's a It's a very strong Strong point, point and it brings out a little something that's raised earlier in the movie which is when Cassian just kills the informant that he's with which just shows you that these are darker darker characters than the rebels we see in a new hope on those are like clean cut perfect good guys except for Han Solo and <laughs> maybe a few others but you know Lando's gray as well but there's you know you see, you see the difference you know what I'm getting at these rogue one characters especially characters like Saw the extremists mm-hmm. a lot darker right and it's because of the things they've had to do it permanently affects them Same with Cassian. And that is part of why their emotions are the way they are. They're not as emotive because... They've suffered so many times in their life that they're bur- almost burned out. they are immured. to this type of thing. You use the example of 9-11. Well, most of us had seen nothing like that in our lives. We hadn't experienced loss, and that wasn't even personal loss for most of us because we didn't know anybody personally affected by it, at least maybe most of us. Some, some people out there would have, but none of the three of us knew anybody who was actually in the building at the time. That's the same here, or the opposite here, rather. So many of these characters have suffered so much in their lives. They're extremists that have been on the fringes of a difficult, rebellion for a long time a lot of them know that they're going to die They do not expect to live.
1: Also, as a counterpoint, we have Bodhi as the character who is not a rebel. He is not conditioned. He is not a fighter. He was an Imperial pilot that was just trying to make ends meet and support his family. His hometown is Jeddah. He should have a lot of emotion.
2: A cargo pilot, right? Not a fighter pilot. Not a fighter pilot. A
1: cargo pilot, as soon as he found out what was actually going on, he left them. It was too much for him. He left it and he couldn't handle the brutality and the thought that these rebels might be as awful as the Imperial people, that's a thought that he has in the books. Actually, is who did I throw in with? Are these as bad as the Imperial people? And he's not right, but he's not entirely wrong. He found Saw and he tortured him.
2: Yeah, yeah. I will say, as much as I maybe want to complain about them, about them not going as deep as I want into things like emotion and character development, they still did go pretty far. There, it was pretty clear. George Lucas, I don't even think this is like some theory people came up with. I think it's something he stated that the Empire is supposed to represent the Nazis. You know, yeah. they, yes. they, especially when you go back to that time period, we're coming out of World War II, a little more closer. That generation. The
0: name Stormtroopers is no accident. Nazi Stormtroopers. Yeah, thing.
2: yeah. <laughs> and I felt I had this feeling in this movie. You know, when they, we, uh, when they were when they're in Jeddah and the, before that skirmish scene there with the troopers and a tank kind of rolling through through the streets. I thought, you know, this is kind of reminiscent of of troops rolling through the streets of uh of Germany as the Nazis are mm-hmm. taking over. And I thought, you know, this is also a little bit reminiscent of American troops rolling through the streets of Iraq or whatever. And the uh,
1: terrain is not too far off. The culture, yeah. the fact that they're mining an energy source. Yeah, and, yeah.
2: And I, I wonder how much intent there was, or coincidence, how much they peel back from what they might, would have wanted. They're just like, Hey, don't get too political now, you know. But, uh, <laughs> but they definitely, I feel like, are getting into... The gray areas of characters that the past movies haven't done so much. The good guys were a little bit more clear and cut good and bad guys were more clear and cut bad. And we're delving into some crossover with the idea, because I often think in every movie, but Star Wars especially, when the good guys are just like shooting into these hordes of bad guys and they're all just falling down dead, like those are people dying. And it's a little easier when they're Nazis or when they're clones or when they're droids. But they make it a little tougher when one of them is Finn. They make it a little tougher when one of them is Bodhi.
1: I thought about that a lot, actually, watching this movie. When they were killing those stormtroopers, I actually had the thought, how many of those are as good as Finn had the potential to be? And when I was seeing the pilots and the Imperial base being destroyed, I thought, Bodhi lived there, and look at how he turned out. just made me really sad, but I, I think that's somewhat the point, is the horror of war.
0: Yeah, yeah. Not all the people that work for the Empire at this point have had the revelation that Bodhi has had. This isn't deep into... This is We're not deep into Palpatine, Vader destroying planets being really evil they're not fully they're not to that point fully yet they're going in that direction and these rebels certainly have figured it out they, they figured it out a while ago but this is a huge galaxy a huge not everybody knows what's going on some of these people like you said the stormtroopers even some of the just tactical officers etc some of these just cargo pilots these kind of characters they were just taking jobs and they when they signed up for this job it wasn't signing up to work for an evil company it was just a government job for a, the government and the government was just a government too it had bad it's, they had a it
1: had year its contract. good and
2: evil Evil, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad they had a
1: 20-year contract. Oh, contract. That's why there's still stormtroopers working on the Death yeah. Star years later.
2: It. Some of this reminds me of the discussion from Clerks. Do you remember exactly? That's why. That's what I the, thought of. The contract workers or whatever on the Death Star that got blown up along with it. <laughs>
1: In the beginning, I didn't really feel the weight of Cassian killing that informant in the opening scene. I didn't know much about his character. I didn't know if that was normal for him. I took it to be normal, but it was still abnormal for a typical rebel character. However, reading the book, I read the book before seeing the movie the second time and you see Cassian's inner monologue and he's actually really broken up about this. And when I first watched it, I really couldn't sense how he felt about this. When I rewatched it after reading the book, I could see that he had taken this into account in his acting and his mixed feelings about this and how it kind of haunted him a little bit later. and
0: It's part of what caused him to blow up with Jin and say, look, you're not the only one to lose everything. It's not just losing everything. It's having to lose yourself. He has had to do things he knows Is wrong. Things that he will regret forever because he knows he has to. He's like, but he if he doesn't do them, it's worse.
1: And as we see, he says he's been doing this since he was a child.
0: Since six. Yeah, Yeah. since six. He's been
1: like throwing rocks and distracting the, you know, the Empire, the Republic at the time. And you have to wonder exactly how devastating it was when he lost his family.
0: And compare that to Luke losing his aunt and uncle. I mean, this is, it's nothing. Luke, I mean, it is something. It's a lot, really. Losing your aunt and uncle is really horrible. But compare Luke's suffering or any of the characters in the other movies, except for maybe Leia, who lost a whole planet, to these rebels now in this movie who, like, all of them have lost everything. Home, family, their own personal honor things like that it's a far darker in that sense and it just really gets someone like saw like we hardly touch on him in the movie he's so brief but you know he's so paranoid that he's just in he's been in the game so long and this is the horrible effect it's had on him
2: it was one of my frustrations with force awakens it had a million things i loved about it but the thing that really bothered me most was when that death planet blew up multiple other planets
1: star killer base
2: star killer base Nobody really said anything about it everyone kind of looked in the sky in shock or whatever, but no one said, my uncle lives there. No one said, oh my God, that's going to disrupt all the trade routes or what's that good. Gonna... I can't believe they kill those people. Like, I feel like when something like that happens, people should be devastated and it should become kind of like 9-11. It should just become part of all the planning and culture and discussion and everything. And that they should consider things like what we're seeing people already consider at this point is if they can kill a whole planet, some moral that we stood behind, like not torturing people or not hurting innocents. Well, that's out the window. We might have to hurt a few innocents Otherwise, all the innocents will die, you know? And because this movie is digging into some of that deeper stuff, it's part of why I hope they might dig into some deeper emotion. My favorite scene of the whole movie, when they're coming back in on the rainy planet, I always forget the name of it. Edu. Edu, thank you. They, as Jen is realizing... The reason they went there was for Cassian to kill her dad. She's kind of piecing that together as they are getting back onto the ship. One, I think that was like some, some parts of the plot are kind of force-fed to us, especially when it's convoluted or action-y. They kind of make sure we know what's going on, what we're rooting for the characters to accomplish. But that one was a little bit subtle. The, that kind of, I want to give credit to the actor or the editor or whatever for having that wash across her face. Then the confrontation that follows up and his justification and their banter back and forth. I think that was the best moment of the whole movie. I don't think anyone walks away from the movie like, my favorite part was when that ship blew up. My favorite part was when she almost fell off the side and climbed back up. You could cut that stuff out. There's 17 minutes of action. It could have been 16 minutes of action. Give us 30 more seconds here and there of conversations and confrontations between characters and dialogue like we had in that ship. I think that was the best, most meaningful part of the whole movie.
0: And I think one of the best lines in the whole movie kicked off that whole little subplot was when Chirrut asked, what kind of face does Cassian have? That was extremely subtle, but not so subtle that you don't immediately know what he means when the answer is given. He's like, no, he has the face of a friend. And you're like, oh, okay then. Wow, so he's figured it out already. And then it goes from there. And that's, that's that was how they told the audience. And then you watch Jin figure it out. And that's really interesting.
2: K2 also says his weapon was configured in cyber. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. that was another... That, that was maybe going <laughs> to too a far. Clue. making it yeah, little more A little points. less subtle, yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm not a big fan of that scene. I didn't really like... Jin Erso or Cassian's acting in that scene. I thought that it should have been a lot better and it just wasn't. It was kind of underwhelming and after having read the novelization I realized in retrospect that there were elements of that scene that were evident in the novelization that made it more complex that I didn't really think were depicted on the screen. For instance the fact that Cassian was very concerned about the fact that he knew that Chirrut, Bays, and Bodhi would side with Jyn. I think that was part of what helped him make that decision. I think he cared about Jyn. I think he felt bad about it but I also think he knew that if he did that and came back he had a fight on his hands. He should have also-
2: pointed his weapon slightly to the left and shot Krennic. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> it is also another thing that shows his commitment. He was borderline on a suicide mission there and willing to do it. Mm-hmm. There was another really interesting or a moment that could have been way more interesting that you pointed out in the end when Krennic and Jen are finally facing each other and she has this comment you know he's like who are you? And well, Who's this chick ruining my day? You know? And she's like you should know who I am. And I, I... I I didn't think about it too much at, at the moment. She doesn't but say
1: that. She just says she says who she is. She should say something that shows that she feels that she that he should know who she is.
2: Yeah, but he whether he should remember her or not to her. He, he, yeah, he doesn't seem to. But from the novelization and and even without the novelization, when I think about it, it makes sense that he's been like the villain of her life. You know, I, I didn't realize till the second time we saw these flashbacks where as a little girl they were with each other. The family that you know Krennic was friends with this family. And in fact, I thought that was another good moment. That I didn't catch how good it was, but, but that meeting between Krennic and Galen at the beginning, I thought that was really the look on Krennic's face when Galen claims that his wife has been killed. It was just a little pause there. I I feel like they could have just not done it or done it differently. It was really subtle, but I thought that was a really good moment to think about what was scrolling through his mind and make you scroll through your mind about how he's reacting. Is he genuinely upset? Is he pretending like he's mournful but doesn't give a crap? You know, how is, what's he going through here? But the scene when he meets up with Jen at the end, this person is like killed her mom, kidnapped her dad, ruined her life. Not to mention like a villain of humanity. the guy who made (laughs) his
0: weapon that's blowing up, that blew up Jetta and all those other things. And, yeah. yeah,
2: and she's in this. <laughs> Frantic, you know, uh, adrenaline pumped moment to thwart this guy, and he's like, "Who are you?" You know. <laughs> and I would have loved so
1: much in that moment for Jen to look shell shocked, for her to go, yeah. "What?" Or just have know some, who I am? some 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 <laughs> real reaction instead of, "I'm Jaina Erso, daughter of Galen and Lyra, which that should come afterwards.
2: I wish. She, I, in fact, I didn't even think about it till just now, but I wish she maybe gone into some sort of berserker rage. She gets saved. It's almost like tropey. How like, oh. Cassie is still alive and he saves the day, but I almost feel like it reminds me of the moment, it's been pointed out by other people, the difference in emotion that you would get from characters in the prequels when Darth Maul strikes down Qui-Gon Jinn. And Ewan McGregor, a great actor, cast in this role where he's pretty monotonous the whole way, but suddenly (gasps) flares up with emotion. His face turns red and you see the anger in his eyes and that shield comes down and he charges forward and then engages in this very well orchestrated choreographed fancy fold <laughs> swordplay and it just compared to the moment in Return of the Jedi when Luke is facing down Vader and, and Amber way, is yeah. uh, egging him on and Luke is just hand over head just so much hammering better. down with no kind of choreography or grace or anything but it was very powerful and very emotional and I wish Some that Mark had Hammel's happened that moment acting. with Jen. I <laughs> wish she had just yelled and charged forward and Krennic maybe even shot and hit her and just like in the beginning a matter of fact I can't believe what a good parallel it would have been just like when Krennic got hit in the shoulder and but just ordered the truth forward if she just got hit in his shoulder but charged forward anyway, tackled him down, maybe punches him in the face. I feel like they really could have got a powerful moment there but instead it was a tropey moment, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I
1: would have loved it if she just launched herself at him yeah. and pummeled him for a minute and Cassian had shown up and kind pulled of pulled her off, off and, and it would, exactly. Lyra, and imagine
2: if ringing in our ears was was Saul saying, what will you become? Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. and I
1: mean, exactly, that's exactly what Lyra did credit. So it would have been the pummel. exact parallel with her mother.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: I saw this element of Lear there, of her impetuousness and hot-headedness and willing to, to do this. And so I, we do see that in Jen later, we just don't see it parallel that clearly. Yeah. And I think they could have had a clear parallel, which maybe would have been too cheesy to some people or who knows what.
2: I would have loved it. I'm willing to take a little cheese to get some allegory. <laughs> <laughs> reviews. Something you said earlier, Shay, that I wanted to touch back on, you
0: talked about how the Cassian killing the informant meant a lot more the second time, and I wanted to build on that comment because I think that applied for me personally a lot of the characters that worked for me for, because one of the things about this movie, it was actually very subtle. I think the more I think about it, the more cool things I figured out or that we figured out together, whatever, made me like the movie more in a lot of ways. I liked it initially too, of course, but my enjoyment has grown the more i've thought about it and one of the reasons for that is that seeing it the second time allowed me to not be overwhelmed by things moving really quickly and i had had time to process a lot of things and mostly though the characters had been taken to heart and you know you know you see the it's the same thing again when you're watching a movie second time but those characters are more part of your psyche you they're more part of your subconscious you know them better because you've already seen them once and you have maybe in my case in particular I was inspired to go learn more about those characters, learn about their backstory, because I knew I was going to see the movie again, and I thought this would help me enjoy it more if I was like, wow, I'm, that was one of the weaknesses of the movie you know, that a lot of people seem to agree on that the characters weren't fleshed out enough. So I'm going to fix that on my own. I'm going to flesh them out by reading. And that's one of the great things about Star Wars is that it's really easy. You don't have to dig really deep to, to find yeah. more information about Star Wars characters.
1: It's as simple as going to Wikipedia or looking up the visual guide or the art of Rogue One books all three of which have a huge amount of extra information, pictures, artwork.
0: And just to be clear, that's Wookiepedia, not Wikipedia. A Wookie, like Chewbacca. It's a, it's a wonderful site. You can get lost in there for hours. I certainly have.
2: Wikipedia's pretty good, also. That's true. I've also
0: gotten lost in there for hours at times.
2: Days. <laughs> Years. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: Fandomedia dot reviews.
0: So we've talked about the the good guys a lot. We talked about the rebel side a lot, but there's actually quite a bit of story on the Imperial side. There's quite a lot of scenes with Tarkin and Krennic, and of course there's some Vader, which was which was a lot of fun, I think. I want to talk about Krennic and Tarkin a bit because I think this was really interesting and it showed the other side of things. It shows on the rebel side of things, there's clearly struggle because the rebels are a disunited group. There's several different factions, and as we saw in that scene where Jin united them, well, <laughs> failed. She to. tried to unite them, right? She failed to unite them. She got enough of them for it to work, but. They couldn't agree. That's not the kind of thing that happens in an empire, not as much. You have power structures that are very strict and one guy at the top. (laughs) And Tarkin outranks Krennic. And I really thought there was a lot of subtlety in the storyline there. Krennic is put down constantly by Tarkin. He's accused of mistakes and Tarkin says, I wanted to save you the embarrassment of this going wrong. And that's why he didn't bring Vader and the emperor there to witness it in person. And that's all part of Tarkin's plan to usurp the Death Star, to take it over himself. It's not really usurping. As we learn from the extended material, the Emperor had pretty much planned for Tarkin to be in charge, but Tarkin played it smoothly politically, let Krennic extend his ambitions because he thought he was going to be the commander of it in the end, but no, he wasn't.
1: Regarding the idea that Krennic was failing and struggling, one interesting meta element is that Ben Mendelsohn originally thought that he would have to put on a British accent for this role. He just pictured Imperials, they have the British accent, they're very posh, he had this vision of it, but when they got down to filming, the director or writer or whoever said, No, we want the working class accent. Which that's Krennick is a working class kind of guy. He's struggling. He's trying to make it to the top. And I think it works to keep that voice.
2: Which maybe adds a little more to Tarkin kind of lording over him, like, you're lucky you were even here. <laughs> you know?
1: <clears throat> you don't even yeah. have a British accent.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's really interesting. I think the Imperial story
0: got kind of maybe got lost in the shuffle for some people, but I uh, and I didn't quite capture all of it in the first time, but second time through i was really focused on it. i think it's great i thought krennic's ambitions i think were really interesting subplot and the way the empire just cruelly can take people's efforts away it's it's, it's like even the other bad guys you know yeah. like they do this they they strip mine Jeddah and then blow it up you know it's kind of similar you know yeah. they, they use every get every ounce of value out of something then they throw it away yeah. and krennic was do, was the one doing all that. And then it happened to him. You
2: know, that's the thing I meant to say earlier, by the way, when you were talking about the nature of how the Empire's perceived around the galaxy and that the Emperor hasn't totally taken over at this point in the storyline and so on. I considered for a minute what a loss it was for them to destroy the planet that was like the archive and had all kinds of troops and everything down there. But I, again, second time watching it, kind of piecing things together, I imagine they were doing that for propaganda reasons. They already had mentioned no, no Death Star blew up. Jetta, that was a mining accident. Now we're going to blow this up too. We're just you're just trying to cover their tracks of how people are aware or perceiving this Death Star and Empire's abilities.
1: You know, it makes me think that I wonder if the Empire is spreading propaganda after the fact that the rebels blew up Scarif? How dare they do that? How awful of them to blow up an entire planet. Yeah. And if there's this warring propaganda piece is going back and forth right now.
2: Right they now. even, at one point, the council on Mothma, I think, specifically yeah. said that Saul's militants has caused us a lot of trouble. Yes. Think how much trouble it will cause the rebels if the Empire spends this as a rebel attack. In fact, it was a rebel attack. It you absolutely know what I mean? was, yes. So they can say, look at these, you wonder why we have to crack down and impose curfew this is why look what they've done you go, know? It's, it's go a, blame them
0: it's a very much a recurring theme with the Empire they use thin justification or invent justification co- just create it fabricate it out of nowhere and that is their modus operandi to you know take over something or to declare something a security risk and say oh I'm taking over because you failed to protect the property it's exactly what Tarkin said to Krennic as his justification for taking it over and he's got a point a commander who is on top of his game is going to look Around at who of his people, look at their records, who's from Jeddah. Those are the leaks. Those, those are the most likely leaks right there. We just blew up their planet. Those are the guys most likely to like flip and turn on us. Those are the guys most likely to turn traitor. And I bet Tarkin may not have considered that, but he will retroactively be able to say, for example, you should have seen this coming. You know, yeah. like it's an easy thing to say in retrospect and to be like, you know what? He's right. You should have seen that coming.
1: (laughs) I personally really love looking at interviews with cast and writers and directors, anyone involved with the movie, really, as well as reading the extra material that we mentioned before, like Catalyst and the Rogue One novelization and all that. I love it all. But some of them are better than others, so we're going to highlight a few interviews like we already did. This is one of my favorites. Riz Ahmed, who plays Bodhi Rook, he said that the references for his character were Dustin Hoffman and Papillon and Dennis Hopper and Apocalypse Now. And that's interesting for one, to know that they gave him references for his character to inspire him. But also the thing I wanna highlight here is that Riz filmed himself doing his takes. So he took a take and he sent it to Gareth Edwards and he took another take and he sent it to Gareth Edwards and he put on a different outfit and took a take and sent it to Gareth Edwards. He did a weird accent and sent it to Gareth Edwards. And by the end of it, he had sent Gareth Edwards about 12 takes over just a couple of days. And Edwards had to tell him, please don't send me any more takes. You got the, you got the job. <laughs> <laughs> Before we move on from mostly talking about the characters, I wanted to mention one of the biggest flaws of the movie for me, but it's one that I have really mixed feelings about, which is just how few women are in the film. On the one hand, representation matters. There should be more women in there. But on the other hand, it would be a really huge continuity error if we saw all these female soldiers in Rogue One right before A New Hope, and we never see them again in those movies. What happened there? Why did they all get phased out? So I can kind of see why they wouldn't do that, but I think that they still could have had more female senators. One of the Rogue One squadron could have been a woman, and in fact in the original concepts was a woman. The One of the pilots, the X-Wing pilots, was a female character and they changed that.
2: From A New Hope? Not from Rogue One, but from A New Hope?
1: N- no. Rogue from, one. Rogue
2: one? Okay. from Rogue One? From Rogue One. But there were characters in A New Hope, female pilots, that they edited out. Yeah,
1: it was Return of the Jedi, but basically yeah. And in this movie we had two female pilots. Their names are awfully funny. Just, just really funny. I just want to prepare you for how funny they are. <laughs> one of them, Blue Three, which is Jessica Pavas' call sign, as a aside, is Geraldine James. That's the actress's name. I really like her. Her character's name is Geraldine Jerums. The other <laughs> one, which was the Asian female pilot, her name is Gabby Wong. Can you guess what her? pilot name is i'll give you a second if you want to create some anagrams real quick
2: is it wabby gong
1: that would have been good but no it's Wana gabon <laughs> i just think that's really funny that they do that it cracks me up on that line wobani labor camp is an anagram for obi-wan whether that was on purpose or not it makes me laugh
0: <laughs> Star Wars is a really easy time with diversity relative to other movies because it's always had this huge... You always have these, all these different types of people and characters and aliens and everything. It's pretty... No one's going to look out of place. Unless it's like on the Empire side because they're all, you know, they're all <laughs> sterile. All They're all old white guys.
2: <laughs> but that's by design. <laughs> visual elements. I have a character I want to talk about that is a visual himself, K2. I guess there's probably a bunch of others, but he was featured in a movie, and in fact, as I think about it, I don't even know if he's a uh, CGI or a, a he's, physical he's robot that they captured. made. Wow, CGI. so one way or the other, it's impressive.
1: As, as an aside about that, with those reshoots, one of the shots in the trailer has Alan Tudyk in his motion capture suit. Yeah. So K2 was running on the beach and they didn't put him in.
2: Oh, so it's just a dude in it's a weird a, suit. It's just a mistake. <laughs> was it actual the Alan Tudyk
1: running in there? Yeah. yeah, in the little suit. You can see the, the cap and you can just barely, because you know what he looks like, you can kind of see that it's him. It
2: alien or something huh? It just—it
1: yeah. looks like it could be a guy in, in his full military outfit with his hat except that you know what Alan Tudyk looks like and this is a weird looking outfit.
2: Yeah yeah <laughs>
0: interesting. In a quick um, trailer it's easy to get, get past but he's like wait what
1: the?
2: when what's When you're it? already looking for things that are uh, yeah. not in a movie or whatever yeah. Well anyway I I was really impressed with uh, one I think he might be my favorite character. I think that he, he got all the best lines you know. And, uh, and he got to be a hero, too. But I, what I was really impressed with was how they got emotion out of this droid. I think that maybe my second favorite moment of the movie was when they're getting on a ship. They're heading out to they Cassian, Jen, and K2. And she has a blaster. <laughs> and he's like, where'd you get that? And, and, uh, and they kind of banter about it a little bit. Cassian lets it go, and he sits down next to K2 in a pilot seat. And K2's like, you're going to let her keep it? you know what the chances are of her using it against us? (laughs) High. Very high. That moment, (laughs) if you look at his face, I don't even know how they did it, but you can see concern on his face. I totally agree. Borderline, I don't know what to call it, insubordination or frustration. And I don't even know how they... He was shocked. He was surprised. Yeah, yeah. A, a range of emotions were coming through. Just these little robot eyes. He didn't have a mouth. He can't smile or frown. Maybe they did it even with some body language because there are a couple other moments where it felt like the movement of his shoulders or anything. Mm-hmm. But I want to give them so much credit for that.
0: I think the eyes were particularly cru- crucial there because it's also how they showed his death. You know the eyes going out, his yeah, eyes yeah. dimming, and that was on first watch for me. That was one of the saddest moments. It got you know as I as I said earlier, the, watching the second time, the characters meant a lot more to me and a uh, change. But through the the quickness of the first view, you know, you have the funny guy dying. It's like oh, I'll
1: say <laughs> as an aside, we should give it up for Alan Tudyk because he was very concerned going into the movie that he was going to be the Jar Jar Banks character. He's playing a motion capture character that is tall and thin, so kind of similar in that <laughs> way. But is a is a comic relief character. Yeah, good point. But the fact that Sean, you couldn't tell if it was motion capture or real, says a lot about that his concerns didn't matter. Yeah, Yeah. worked out well. One of the visual (laughs) elements that I appreciate the most is not just visual effects, but the choices of location that they filmed in. I think that this movie might have more different terrains than any of the other Star Wars movies, and maybe even all of them put together. There were eight different planets in this movie alone, most of which had a pretty significantly different terrain from one another. We had the stormy planet of Edu, We had the tropics of Scarleth which was filmed in the Maldives.
0: With the black sand and volcanoes of Lamu
2: and the desert of Jeddah. Not to mention the lava-filled Mustafar, Wabani with the labor camp, and the classic Yavin 4.
1: Plus, we see a glimpse of Coruscant, even, even though it's only for about, what, three seconds? <laughs> That's pretty quick.
2: <laughs> Yavin 4 is a somewhat green planet compared to most of all the imagery of Star Wars. There's not a lot of green, and I really thought it stood out a lot at the scene in the beginning that I had mentioned where Galen and Krennic are confronting each other on his farm, and it makes... <laughs> makes mm-hmm. sense for the farm to be green but I thought everything around it was bleak it was, it was the green area like and it black
1: was... sand yeah. and the volcanoes yeah. and all the...
2: the volcanic ash is good
0: for farming <laughs> but I guess I guess Endor would be the greenest of all the for sure yeah. 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 yeah even that's the only one with a green lightsaber by a main character there's plenty of green lightsabers in the movies with lots of Jedi
1: but, but we certainly have never really seen tropics and we haven't seen a lot of we have seen in the prequels we've seen some significant rainy scenes but not quite like Edu, I don't think and definitely I think Scarif stood out the most to me.
0: Yeah, Scarif, yeah, I agree. It was unusual. It was, it was so lush and nice. It was yeah, such usually, a shame to blow up that planet. Yeah, right? <laughs> usually the planets are... are har- we're, used to, we're used to seeing deserts and, and harsh planets that are just kind of messed up. Dagoba, like these really nasty places.
2: I will say that one bit of insight I have into the Star Wars world that you guys might not have i's, is I've played a lot of the video games. And now there's some people out there who played a lot of the video games. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've played a lot of KOTOR 1, 2 and uh, Battlefront. uh, But
1: not the new Battlefront.
2: No, I haven't played the new Battlefront. And uh, a lot of times, I'll tell you something I like about watching Star Wars movies slash something I like about the the games is I feel like I've been there. You know what I mean? Like, I feel Mm -hmm. like I've gone through these Mm -hmm. corridors and like the lushness, the tropical area that you guys are talking about on Scarif, that didn't seem that new to me because I've been been there on on, uh, Battlefront so many times. I guess we
1: need to get Sean Battlefront and a console because they have Scarif as a place that you can play on in the new game.
2: Mm, fun. A couple other uh, comments about the visuals. Generally, I think that the imagery of Star Wars is spectacular. I think they do an amazing job with the framing and the lighting and the cinematography. And a couple nitpick things that I think they do really well. Nitpick's not quite the right word. A couple of small details that they do that I think really add a lot. The ship, the cargo ship, the stolen cargo ship that they're traveling around on. You can really see it when it's landing on Scarif. Just the underside of it is roughed up. You could see it's like it looks as though it's been painted and landed and smashed and bumped and maybe like it needs a new painting just the to- the visual detail of that ship as it's landing really makes everything feel real. It doesn't mm. seem like it's CGI or superimposed. It feels like it's a real spaceship landing, you know?
1: I'll, I'll say that that's something that the people involved with the creation of Star Wars have spoken to again and again about how one of the most important things in Star Wars is for the world to feel lived in. Everything has to feel like it's been around for hundreds of years, thousands of years, depending on where you're at. You have to see on Jetta that this has been here for millennia. You have to feel that this ship has been flying around for 20 years it can't look brand new
2: it is a feel that i think they hit a lot better in these newer movies than the prequels and the prequels i felt like everything was a little too clean and pretty whereas in this one again going back to force awakens ray's little scooter it seemed huh. like it was kind of piecemeal together it seemed like it might break down you know it's it, she was worried about that too I think. yeah now another thing that isn't a minor subtle little detail it was like a big obvious thing that heard a few people complain about but i thought it was amazing how they recreated tarkin and, and leia i know that some, totally agree some characters were maybe recast completely mm-hmm. and uh some characters I don't know if they did any special effects with Jimmy Smith's, but... uh, I don't
1: think they did anything there. I think he just has aged to the appropriate level at this point to where he should look like that.
2: Just
0: worked out.
1: And -hmm. for instance, we had Mon Mothma in it and that actress, she was in the prequels, but cut, so they used that actress. But she just looks a lot like the original actress. Yeah, they just found someone who really it's just That one really works. (laughs) And for more minor characters like Jan Dodonna, who was one of the generals, instead of recreating this random old man's face, Base, they just cast another old man which was and Selmy, Ian McElhaney. Or, in another case, they did something even more special in the case of two of the pilots that we saw. Red and Gold Leader in that fight, and people who are eagle-eyed will have noticed that the film stock looked a little different for some of the pilot shots. That's because they took unused footage from the original movies that was never used of them using their call signs and put it into the movie.
0: I think it's really amazing to think that someone had a minor role in a movie 30-some years ago, it got cut, but somehow the footage popped up later in a big budget movie. For it. it's like unheard of.
2: I wonder if those actors are still alive. What of they them got is. Paid. Yeah.
0: They got of some, like a
2: little bit. Of, they got money. They never thought they'd see. <laughs> Fame they never thought they'd
0: see. Yeah, that is just really <laughs> random. I think
1: I'm ultimately for that. I really liked the idea. I think it was worth it. It distracted me a little bit. I took notice of the different film stock and, and that, but I knew what the explanation was for it. I knew who it was and what that meant. Someone who had never seen a Star Wars movie might see that and be like, why did they look so weird? <laughs> but I think that's not worth them not doing it.
0: Audio Elements. I think out of all the Star Wars movies, this one had the best space battle action. Maybe it went a little too long, but that's a minor complaint and I don't I don't really mind it at all. That's nitpicking at best. So I really like that and I think one of the things that works really well with the space battle, one of the things that makes Star Wars space battles a little better is the iconic sounds and noises that you're used to from the lasers and the TIE fighter sound is just so iconic. The lightsaber sound is really familiar. Uh, anyone who knows Star Wars, is super, super uh, noticeable.
1: Speaking of lightsabers, before the movie, I wasn't quite a bet, but I asked everyone, do you think we'll see a lightsaber in this movie? And I didn't know if we would, and we got almost to the very, very end, and I was thinking, <laughs> I want, we didn't see a lightsaber. And then there comes Vader.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I'm glad to see that they kept Vader's music. They didn't do the full throttle, heavy Imperial March, but they did the slowdown version of Vader's theme, which we've heard before. But it was really good to have that music again because that music is just so good. John Williams is so good at what he does. And the music has been around so long. It's sunk into our subconscious. It's part of the whole experience. I really, really key into that sort of thing and for me that's part of Darth Vader The breathing sound is part of who he is too and that just all just brings you back to childhood and things like that.
1: It's slightly out of place but it's a small thing that you made me think of that has to do with character here since we're talking a little bit about Vader's character I can bring it up. One of the things that that didn't hit me early on in the movie that I think is a really interesting parallel is between Saw Gerrera and Darth Vader. The fact that Saw has his respirator and Vader has his respirator shows these two different sides but they're both very extreme and very terrifying and relying on technology to prop them up. And I had this thought I Bodhi never would have interacted with Vader. But if he had, when he's thinking there, when he's meeting Saw and he's wondering if these are just as bad as the Empire, if he would be seeing someone exactly like Vader with the respirator, it would (laughs) have hit even harder, potentially. Yeah, he sees
0: Saw and he's like, oh my god, this guy's horrible. Then he sees Vader, he's like, okay, no, no, this. This is, that's okay. I'm glad I left these guys. Yeah. Um, and And with Vader, also the other thing about him I think was really interesting in that last scene is you can really feel his anger. He is just, he's not just just cutting down those rebels, he's angry. He's like, I don't want to be here. The pl- these de- this, this is a big mess up. This I was you dropped the ball. You made too much noise. Now we're coming in to clean up this mess. And I'm like, damn it, those plans just I had them and they got away. And now I gotta do. It's just it's really because he's just that's this part of his character. I mean the yeah. Sith are supposed to give into anger, and that's just, Anakin was always and had yeah. anger issues and it's just kind of and it's just the way he was just over swinging and just real. I really felt that. Fandomedia dot reviews.
2: One of my favorite things about Star Wars, one of the things I think makes it truly great, is the iconic imagery that they've created. The image of a Stormtrooper's helmet, a lightsaber, an X-Wing, the Millennium Falcon, Death Star, Vader's helmet, even Han, even like a silhouette image of a guy, you know, kind of shifted on one hip with a vest on. That's Han Solo. You just go, there's so R2, like so many of these characters, even if you haven't seen Star Wars, you would still recognize Vader's helmet. Along the same lines of these great images that they've created in a Star Wars world, As this to make me realize They've created great audio too. I think that even if you haven't seen a Star Wars movie, you would still recognize, like, you know, the drawing of a lightsaber, and the flyby of a Tie Fighter. I never thought about it till just now talking about it that there are iconic sounds uh, and mm-hmm. how many Star Wars has created. I will not. I would never not recognize
0: the sound of a Star Wars laser. You know that kind of sound. <laughs> yeah. I obviously can't make mimic it with my mouth, but you can do it. Go ahead. It's it's I we Shay and I were at a convention a few uh, a few months ago, and we played a trivia game where they actually played sounds from movies. And what's the bite? What's the bite? Yeah, and it was, you either had to name the character, the actor, or the sound, depending on which clue was given. And there was, there was, a, they used the TIE fighter sound, and just like, half the room was like, yep, I know that one.
1: In our first impressions, we were a little bit harsh on the music here and I, seeing it again, I think I was a little too harsh on the music. It isn't quite a knockoff of the original Star Wars music. It's a little better than that. But also I think I wasn't giving the composer enough credit. Michael Giacchino, he only had four and a half weeks to compose this music as he had to take over for the original composer, Alex Desplat.
2: Hmm. I could have done it in four and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> you would
0: just want to recycle the old music. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, since we're on the subject of music. Here's a subject that we were, were that we were very excited to talk about, which is Michael Giacchino did something very fun with the music titles. He used a lot of puns. Every single one has a pun title. And we're going to list off a few of our favorites. Some of my favorites are Bazed and Confused instead of Dazed and Confused and Jetta Call saw instead of Better Call Saul. <laughs> so I love that movie and that show. So those are That's maybe why those are two of my favorites, but I really loved them. More than the music.
2: Let's see, there were a couple that I really liked. Takes One to Rogue One and that new Death Star smell. My favorite ones were Jyn Carcerated
0: and Live and Let Jedi.
1: (laughs) So you guys should check out the Wikipedia page for Rogue One where they have the discography listed with those episode titles. It's really worth it. We didn't want to list them all so that you can see some of your own, but they're worth it.
2: Fandomedia.reviews
0: So that wraps up the very first episode of Fandom Media Podcast. Make sure to check out our website, fandommedia.reviews. Our next episode will be another one on Star Wars Rogue One. We'll be talking about characters and Easter eggs, the hidden gems, the things that you might have missed, the little references to other movies, all that fun stuff, and then we'll be moving on to other topics. So until next time, I'm Fandom Tarkin.
2: I'm Fanakin Skywalker.
1: And I'm Cassian Fandor.